Well, good morning, everyone. It is 9.30, so we are going to get started, but please keep enjoying uh, your, your breakfast. If you got a little left, let us open in prayer. Oh, and before I pray, Elaine is handing out the scripture we're going to be looking at today. So if you need one, please raise your hand. All right, may the Lord be with you. Lord, we thank you for a great breakfast. And we ask in light of that here in the season of Advent that you give us our spiritual food. That as we look at the journey of the Magi and we consider you worthy, the attribute of worthiness, we ask that you just help us in this liturgical season of Advent to prepare for your coming. And we thank you for the opportunity to be gathered and in your word for study and discussion this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you were here at the 8 o'clock, you heard in Joe's sermon, nine days till Christmas Eve and ten days until the 25th itself. How does that make you feel? Okay, yeah. So, so for, for some it causes panic, for others it's, we're used to this by now. And there, there's all, when we hear that, it does different things to us. But I want you to picture something in your head, which is something I look forward to every Christmas Eve. You probably have already thought about this or, or are heavily looking forward to it. I don't, as preparing for the service and at least at the first one or into the second, you know, it, it's, I'm trying as hard as I can as a priest to be fully immersed. And just, but I hope none of my anxiety ever shows, especially on Christmas Eve, as big as a thing as it is for the church. But when we get to the end and we, the lights come down and we hold those candles up and we sing the song Silent Night, that is always the moment for me. Uh, like being up there leading, doing all that. But when that comes, it seems like that's the moment for me every year, most times, that it all just fades away. And I'm just like, all right, I'm finally able to live into it. And by the later services, it, it's, it's fully there. But, but just there's always that, that nervousness with the first one. But silent night, especially in the dark with the candles, everybody joining in and how it starts with the acolytes bringing it out and the fire, the, the light just gl it grows. And you see that. But I find this is a big seminary word. Juxtaposition. <laughs> Did I say it right, Jeff? <laughs> Juxtaposition. That's what I meant to say. Juxtaposition. Yeah. See, that's big seminary word. I seminary word. I'm getting stuck on my own tongue. But we have, we have this this strangeness uh, in the in the definition of that word where we're celebrating the. It, like, kind of romantically, and, and oh, how precious the six-pound, eight-ounce baby Jesus in the manger. But at, at the same time, this is what's really going on. The birth of this child and all the traditions and the nostalgia that comes with that, this is what we're actually celebrating the most militant, the most aggressive and a violent spiritual divine invasion into the brokenness of the world that the world ever knew and continues to know. Do you see the, it, at one point, it's the cuteness of that child that came, but because that child, our Messiah, came, that is what we are actually celebrating. 
It was a full frontal in gaining in the battle of sin, winning in this world to, that would lead up to his death and resurrection, which was the final victory in that battle. So the incarnation plays a very important part in that, but we've got to see it in, in that light. It doesn't just stay in the manger. And I'm thankful for this time in Advent where we, where we have this preparation of the great celebration. And that's why we celebrate, not because an infant was born, that is all part of the story, but because the great war against death and sin was defeated. So they, we can't forget that as we are considering this. It's a good thing in how we prepare for Advent and for the coming of the child in the manger, because um, that's what it all means. I wanted a Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 says this to aid in that point. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross." That is who is in the manger that grows up and does that for all of us. Just one more little nugget for you to, to really nail this home. Philippians chapter 2 says this, He put on flesh. He became creation. The one who spoke creation into being and lowered himself in order to ransom us from sin and death. That is who is lying in the manger. That is what we use this season of Advent to prepare for. So moving into specifically Advent 3, once again we are going to be focusing on an attribute of God. This week, it, the, our word to consider is worthy. His worthiness. He, in the first week that Joe did, he was our deliverer. Last week we looked at how God is glorious, and now today we focus on worthy. We're going to talk about, via the story of the wise men, the magi traveling in from the east, just how worthy, uh, that, that's going to be our backdrop to consider the attribute of God's worthiness. You have in front of you Matthew chapter 2, the 12 verses. We are going to read that together. And I actually, you have the NRSV, which we normally read on Sundays. I'm going to read from a little bit different translation because I want you to see similarities and differences within the two, but that they point to the same thing. So if you have different words there, that was done on purpose this specific time. It starts like this. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, 
he was troubled. And in all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, he quotes Micah there, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warmed in in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So from that narrative of this, the coming of the wise men in their travels, we are going to look at four different aspects of God's worthiness and our response to God's worthiness. The first of those is God is worthy of our attention. God is worthy of our attention. If you look in verse 2, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship you. So let me tell you, last week, if you were here in glorious uh, looking at at that attribute, we we did a lot of old extra biblical uh, or outside of the Bible research looking at, at the stereotype of the shepherds. This week is a little different as we are considering the wise men because these three kings of Orient are, um, that's about all we know from them from history. Any research you go do, we know they are wise men, that they come from a wealthy place, and that they come from the east on their journey. So everything I'm about to add here is conjecture by different research and things I've pulled together, but your mind has to do the work here to consider the journey of the wise men. We know that they're from the east, and we know that the chosen people of God in Israel have actually been to the east via Scripture. You had Daniel. He had gone to the east, and then you had the ten tribes exiled to the east. But our best laid guess, uh, most theologians at what what they saw and why it drove them to Jerusalem, the wise men, is either they had read Daniel and studied it, uh, or they had remembered he had paid attention to some of the prophecies concerning the coming Messiah. That is the only way the distance that the, that the Magi traveled. They had either done Bible study over what was available to their time with Daniel, or they remembered the original prophecies and studied them, and that was what began to lead them on their journey. They paid attention beyond just mere knowledge. But rather, when they saw the star, they acted upon their knowledge, or they began, as they began to move towards Jerusalem, there's a difference here. What I mean by a kind of 
teasing out there's a difference between paying attention to something and just having knowledge over something. Those are not the same things. Paying attention to something is not the same thing as knowing something. Do you, do you actually get what I'm trying to get to with that? In our lives of faith, as we read the Bible, it is, we can read it as a newspaper where we just see what's going on and so we know some things. Or, as the Magi reacted, we can let it penetrate us, change our hearts, and instead of reading it that way, incorporate ourselves into the story. And that, that is the acting in knowledge versus the just knowing and never acting upon the knowledge. Kind of a neat point which flows out of here. And then here's an example of it right there in front of us in verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests, pulling all the chief priests and the scribes, the experts of the law, the experts of the prophets, those who were tasked by God to teach and to lead the actual preachers and teachers of the day. Herod the king called the best of them, the actual high priests and the scribes. And those, the scribes and high priests come, and he said, hey, where is this king? Where is this supposed Messiah to be born? And they don't need to go look it up. They actually just know because they are well versed. Uh, especially the scribes and the chief priests. They have studied and studied and studied the scripture that was available to them in that day. So they don't actually need to go to, to Logos or to Bible Gateway and to see where is the child to be born. They have known and in, in just like ingested this stuff in the years of their study to prepare to become high priests and scribes. But they already knew it, and they quoted the prophet in the answer to Herod, Bethlehem. He is coming to the village of Bethlehem, and that is where he will be. And this is what's interesting to note about this. These men from the east, the Magi, who, were, who we know so little about, and it is our best guess that somehow they had a copy of Daniel or that they remembered some things that were covered by the ten tribes as they were exiled in the prophecies that the Messiah will be born in Jerusalem, specifically in Bethlehem. And those who were experts of knowledge of the prophets and the law, they were unmoved. Here's that difference between knowing it, something they could just quote and not need to look up. They were unmoved. They knew it, but weren't paying attention enough to do anything with the child will be born in Bethlehem. And I've tried to faithfully press uh, for myself that difference between having head knowledge and then that knowledge going to my heart and leading me in action. See, I think... The real fight for us as we approach Christmas is not to be getting everything done. As, I, as we, Joe in his sermon and I opened up with 10 days, 9 days till Christmas Eve for the Christian. Our fight is not a, just about checking all of those things off the list just to a point where we can enjoy. We know who is sleeping where we have company. Uh, that, that, that didn't make any sense. I don't know why that's in there. Everybody has to... <laughs> didn't edit well enough on my notes. 
the big fight, getting back into that, the big fight this week is not all of that is needs to be done. I don't know if you've seen the Facebook meme going around that says, the first Christmas was very simple. Maybe yours can be too. I hope you have some hope and some freeing in that. But the big fight for us as followers of Christ is to pay attention to the incarnation in such a way that our hearts are are inflamed with the reality of what we are actually celebrating. Do you feel in this season of Advent a pull towards the worship of Christ, not just as the child, but as the Savior, the namesake of our church? Or, do you, or do, you, do you actually feel a pull toward getting all of those decorations done, check, dinner done, check, present spot? That's where we say thankful for church in this season of Advent. Yeah, we're going to get all those things checked, but there's the big why we do all of these things. And all those boxes we will check, they're shadows of the true substance of Christmas, which means the coming of Christ and our preparation for that. That leads us to a second point of worthiness that we see in the narrative of the Magi. He is worthy of our pursuit. Look at verse 1 there in front of you. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. And then bounce down to verse 8. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for this child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they were on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Now these men, they had paid attention like we had talked about, the wise men. And the attention had turned into pursuit. Action on the knowledge that they had gathered somehow. They were pursuing after a knowledge of the Lord. Let's not miss the Christmas miracle that is actually in these lines we've just read. Three guys stopped and asked directions. (laughs) I know. Most people, not, sorry, some, some lame but good humor for you, as I am one who is directionally challenged. And my, my wife, is, just the other day, just the other day. Um, but more seriously, there is a, there is a pursuit of Christ that, that flows freely out of paying attention to Christ. He is worthy of our attention and he is worthy of our pursuit. If you want a different, um, Matthew 13, 44, this is actually when we are considering how God is worthy of our pursuit. This is a, a short parable that shows that he is worthy of our pursuit. Matthew 13, 44 says this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. That is the kingdom of God. This is the pursuit of Christ and why he is worthy of his pursuit. That very short parable can aid us in showing us why God is worthy of our pursuit, just as the wise men show. It says, a man finds a treasure in the fields and then goes and with joy sells everything that he has. 
He loses everything he has to gain the field, the object of his pursuit in that story. Christ is so worthy, is so excellent, and is so beautiful that a loss of everything that we have should be gain, as it is he that is the object of our deepest desire and pursuit. I'll gladly sell it if all I get is him because there is nothing more worthy than him. Have you ever considered this as we consider the worthiness of pursuit of God, that all that we have is eventually going to go away? And as we, as we hear that challenge of, I would sell everything if I could just gain Christ, the ultimate. Well, that's the reality backed up when we breathe our last on this earth. All of that will go away and it cannot go with us. And that is why we consider God worthy of pursuit. Because he, he is the object of our pursuit as Christians, as disciples of his we will still be praising his name over the next nine to ten days as the coming of Christmas is on its way. But as we've talked about in the last couple of weeks, either the 26th or if you actually are a liturgical Christian and you practice Christmas for at least 12 days for the season of Christmas, eventually, if you're like my wife, you want to keep it up till February or March. She loves Christmas. But eventually, it's all going to get put back in the box. The tree is either going to go to the, to the recycling or back in its box, wherever you store it. It's all going to go away. But our pursuit, God is so worthy that our pursuit of Him is every day. And we don't have to lose that with Christmas just rotating into the calendar and looking on to New Year's and everything that comes after God is so worthy that he was born in the manger and that he beat back sin and death for us that we can have Advent every day of our lives. It's even though it's a liturgical season and we have another similar but different coming up that leads into Easter, we can anticipate the coming of Christ all those years back when how He comes to us in the form of the Holy Spirit every day. And then next week, what we will focus on is His future and second coming. We can look forward to that and make Him the desire of our pursuit in our spiritual lives on a day-in and day-out basis. He is worthy of our pursuit. Our third point of worthiness, He is worthy of our faith. Look back in verse 2 that you have there in front of you. Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now look down to verse 11. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary and his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, if we think about this a little more deeply, you have three men, these magi from the east, and they have some, some either like we've talked about from Daniel or from hearing it from the prophecies, they have the shadow of the Messiah that is to come, a hinting of it. And then they put everything their finest they put their wealth on and then they get on their beast of burden and they start to head toward the king somewhere to where this star is supposed to show them the way. 
Now, of course, this is conjecture, as we have spoken of. But if you put yourself in the place of these wise men on their camels, can you imagine one of them looking over and saying, Bill, are we sure about this? What did, what did your wife say about this? Are we crazy for making this, this uh, venture? <laughs> I mean, or we're, we're, going, we're following this light in the sky toward a king we read about or heard about from literature or from the prophets. And it was faith that led them to Jerusalem and faith that led them to Bethlehem. Let's look how God is worthy of our faith as shown through the Magi. Now, by, by the grace of God, I've, I've had the few opportunities to be in the presence of really powerful people. Those are like top 500 billionaires, all, all of that kind of stuff. It's happened a few times. And when you, when you have that type of experience, this is the type of person that like when a door opens and, you, and they walk in, they just command attention. Have you ever been in the presence of somebody like that? This is not what the Magi walked into. <laughs> this is a, they came, it wasn't an already king, the great Messiah, the, the warrior that, uh, th- that is pictured in through, through a lot of thinking about what the Messiah, who that would be and what that Messiah would come to do. But there was, the, it was a baby. This, of course, this is conjecture. There's, uh, they walk in just kind of putting myself, they've made that journey. And it's not like that person coming in that just commands the attention, but it's a child. And they brought their finest of gift, gifts, frankincense, gold, and myrrh, the kind of gifts back then that you would actually give to a king. But by faith, we have to remember when we get into this, we're looking at it from the future tense through the eyes of the cross and the resurrection, which haven't happened yet. They're going on prophecy or having some of the scripture of Daniel open to them with the cross not yet happening and yet coming by great faith. That is how worthy that they act in faith to come see the promised Messiah the child in the manger. They get there, it's a baby, and they have all of those gifts. And in the end, they are actually justified by history and by the word of God. It was step-by-step acts of faith for the Magi. I have to believe that along the way, I I just like thinking about, are you you serious? Like, we're we're actually going to go do this, but look at how history uh, justifies them. So this leads us to the fourth and final point for today. God is worthy of our gifts. Look halfway through verse 11, as we were already there, but go back to the second half of verse 11. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now if we go consider a different scripture, 1 Peter 4.10, starting there, says this, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Now, as we are here and you have already heard or you will continue to hear um, the themes of stewardship, the givings of what the resources we have been blessed with, both our money, our time, our talent, all of those things, but everything that we are, 
And everything that we have are given to us by God. And we are to steward them according to God's grace bestowed upon us. And here's the goal. You remember how we opened up remembering in the season of Advent, not just a baby, but letting our minds do the full theological work of that baby had to come to grow up, to live and die and to rise again for the sins of the world. This is why he is worthy of our gifts. He is the one that was born that came to do that. And this is actually the good news, the eradication of boredom, or it should be for us all. It means that regardless of what our gifts are, how much money we have in the bank, or if we feel like we're very talented or that we have nothing to offer, we can give everything that we have and everything that we are to the glory of God because of the establishment or the order and the pushing back of darkness in our world. This is, you can see why this is adding to just as these things are building upon one another, the deliverer, the gloriness of gloriousness of God and how God is worthy as we consider in the the journey of the Magi this is what we are preparing for our gifts given to him are worthy because it furthers the work of his cross and his gospel and from our very identity but we always have to remember the gifts that are given The giver of the gift is always better than the actual gift that is given, regardless of what the gift is. If you get something on the 25th, you're not so crazy about that. That's a good thing to remember. The giver of the gift is always better of what the gift is, regardless of what it is. He is worthy. Christ is worthy of us laying down our gifts and seeing all that we have and all that we are as an opportunity to make much of him. Because as the text closes, 1 Peter says this, and this is what we're going to look at next week. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we have Christmas coming up, nine to ten days, and we're going to get back. We know it's going to happen. We're going to get back into our old routines. New Year's will come. We'll make some resolutions that maybe a few of us will keep. Maybe none of us will keep those resolutions. But as we said, and looking, looking back, God is our deliverer in week one of, of this class. For some of you, God as deliverer is just an idea. But maybe this year will be when God shows how he is going to deliver you as we prepare for the coming of Christ. We said last week, God is glorious. And some of you have had a hint of that. For some, it's just an idea. But as with the Magi, may the idea and knowledge of something move into full knowing and full experience. That would be my prayer for you. And today we're saying how God is worthy, how Christ is worthy. Those things will never be put away as the decorations and and the date on the calendar will, will move on to something else. But the worthiness of Christ never is put away. There is no addict that can can that can contain the immensity of God. 
In fact, the heavens can't contain the glory of God. The universe can, continues to expand in every direction because of the unfettered, unstoppable, and the dominant glory, worth, and value of God in our universe. The coming of Christ wasn't just the sweet holy night. It was the establishment, as we've said in, in our in closing, it was the beachhead that would drive out all darkness that will eventually be consummated at the return of Christ in his second advent. That not the time as a baby, but his second coming, which we'll say in the Nicene Creed today. But that's next week. That's what we're going to, right before the 24th and the celebration, we're really going to study the second coming of Christ. It's a full preparation to really enjoy and live into the baby that came in the manger. That's it for today. We'll close in prayer in just a moment, but was there any reflections or questions you heard about, about something you, you uh, heard me say? Worthiness. All right. Well, let us close in prayer. Lord, you are the center of all things. You and you alone are worthy. You and you alone are our great treasure. There is no other pursuit, no other trophy, no other accomplishment or hope that can compare. Be with our hearts in our preparation today and the rest of this season of Advent. Let our hearts rest in that today you are the center and you are worthy. You are our great treasure. Thank you for being our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen.